If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would invite you to go ahead and turn with me to the book of Nehemiah. We will be in Nehemiah chapter 5 this morning. We are back in our study that we have titled Rebuild. Um, I don't know about you, but I can tell you for me, this study has already proven itself to be convicting, to be encouraging, uh, to be challenging, and really, i got to be quite honest with you, it's been amazing to see um, so much of ourselves and our church uh, within the pages of this book. So um, if you've been reading along or following along, I imagine that you could probably relate to a lot of what is being said throughout the book of Nehemiah and about the rebuild of Jerusalem according to Nehemiah. And so I pray that as we continue to read through this book together and study it together, that it would continue to challenge and encourage and equip and edify and, and really just bless your life. But I have a question for you this morning as we dive into our text today. And that question is this, what does it mean to be a member of the local church? Do we view ourselves in light of what scripture says it means to be a member or do we view ourselves in light of what culture says it means to be a member of something. Now, let me explain this, if I could, for just a moment. You see, we live in a culture and a time where here in our country, it is always about us. It's always about what's in it for me, and if I give, what will you give back to me in return. You see, that is the basic premise of what we call the American dream. We tell our children even that you are to go to school, you're to go to high school, you're to graduate high school, you are to then attend college, you are to graduate from college, you are to get started in your career, you are to marry, have 2.5 children and a home, and then you are to live out the rest of your days until you retire comfortably, surrounded by dozens upon dozens of grandchildren. Now, if you're doing the math, you having 2.5 kids does not equate to dozens upon dozens of grandchildren. It's almost an unfair expectation that we put on our children. However, I am still confused by the math because I don't understand still what half a kid is. Um, Some of us talk about, well, that's our dog. Well, that's our cat. No, that is completely different from half a child. Um, I have quickly learned that pets can be a little more obedient than your children. Not going to name any particular kids. However, moving on, that is the American dream. It's all about getting ahead. It's all about moving forward no matter the cost. We beg, we barter, we deal, and if necessary, we steal all in the name of getting ahead. So if this is true of our society, if this is true of our culture, then... Here's the question. What if, what if God had another plan in mind? What if the American dream, what if what we tell ourselves is true of our culture and society? What if this was not the plan that God had in mind? What if Jesus Christ, when he came and taught and lived and died and then ultimately was resurrected and lived again... What if this was not the plan of Christ? What if he had something else in mind for his people? Well, today's passage, we will 
see the type of person, the type of believer, the type of church member we've been called to be. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would invite you now to turn to Nehemiah chapter 5. And if you're there, we're going to go ahead and begin reading Nehemiah chapter 5. And if you would, go ahead and stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now, this is the letter and story of the Israelites according to Nehemiah, written from Nehemiah's account. Here is what he says in chapter 5. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers, for there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who still said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, and our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help it, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. I was very angry When I heard their outcry in these words, I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. And I said to them, you are exacting interest each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations of our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, their fields, their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God." I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now, what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds, and every ten days all kinds of wine in abundance." Yet for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people. Remember for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. Let's pray together. 
Father God, we come before you right now thanking you again for this day, and we thank you for the opportunity that we have to study your word. Father, I pray that today that you would prepare our hearts and our minds for your truth. God, may you speak to us through this text. May we learn more about ourselves, but ultimately may we learn more of you and what it is that you've called us to. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for this time that we have now. Thank you for your words and for your truth. And may you be glorified. For it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, just to get you back up to speed, let me tell you what we have already seen from Nehemiah. You see, in chapter 1 and 2, we see that Nehemiah was a man of prayer and a man of the word. We get into chapters 3 and 4, and we see that Nehemiah was a man of Christ-like valor and Christ-like character who would ultimately lead the people of God to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And so now we jump into chapter 5, and what we see here is we see Nehemiah call the people to make a lifestyle choice, either for the goodness of others, but also for the ultimate glory of God. In other words, what Nehemiah is doing here is he's calling his own people to choose this day who you will be. You will either be givers or you will be takers. Which one will you be? And I think this truth holds true for our church today as well. Either as believers in Christ, we will be called givers or we will be called takers. And here's the reality of it. The choice is important because there's only one choice that God says to us brings him glory. So if we could, let's look back over the text together again. You see, in verses 1 through 5, we see that the people of Israel begin to cry out. What we see and what Nehemiah hears is that the financial dealings of those with money, those nobles and those leaders, they are not being regulated according to the word of God or during Nehemiah's day according to the Torah. And so since the covenant community is being compromised, the work on the wall is now being hindered by those who wish to take advantage of the Jews. In fact, we see in verse 1 where we learn that there was a great outcry of the people against their Jewish brothers. So what we already see in verse 1 is that the Jews are becoming angry with their own brothers in Christ, with their own brothers who are also Jews as well. Not in Christ, excuse me, that hasn't happened yet. But they are upset with their own brothers and their own kind. And when you're looking at this story, you have to begin to wonder, how can this be? They came with one vision, with one purpose, with one goal, and it was to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. They were working together. But clearly we see in verses 2 through 5 that the Jews were upset with one another because of an infraction or for our day, a penalty that had occurred between them. You see, the land was suffering from famine, and although the king was in agreement with the work, he was still charging a tax on the produce of the, field, the fields. So the people were going broke. 
Since all of their focus was being put upon the rebuild of the walls and on the gates and on the temple and on the city of itself, many people left the fields unworked. They left their jobs and their source of income completely unworked, which meant there was no food and there was no income. And so the people were left with no other choice than to mortgage the fields, the vineyards, and the homes that they had in order to get grain. You see, the people had all of a sudden turned away from their work to focus on the wall. And they were allowing others to work the field until ultimately they had to sell their fields. And they had to sell their homes just to be able to eat. They had even gone as far as to sell their own children into what amounted to roughly six years of debt slavery to others. And so these nobles, these, these leaders who now owned the fields, they now owned the homes, and now they owned the children, were now charging interest in order for hardworking Jews to get back their lands and to get back their homes. And then they found out that their own children were being mistreated. You see, the people of wealth had become takers. They were only concerned about themselves, their wealth, their personal pleasure, everything they could accumulate for themselves only mattered to them. And they did not care about the work of the people. They did not care that they were robbing from their own families and their own brothers. They did not care about the hurt and the pressures that they were putting on other people's families because of the loss of the children. All they cared about was themselves. They had become selfish in their work. They had become selfish in their motivations. You see, they had completely forgotten the command in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 19 and 20, which says this, Do not charge your brother interest on money, on food, or on anything that can earn interest. You must not charge your brother interest so that the Lord your God may bless you in everything you do in the land you are entering to possess. You see, they had forgotten that. And they had become takers. You see, today for us as a church, we too can forget our call. We too can forget the word of God. And like the nobles and the leaders in Nehemiah's day, we too can become takers. And that is a dangerous place to be. We need to be cautious. We need to be guarded. We need to take care to know that we should not take advantage of other people. Rather, when it comes to giving, we should expect nothing in return. In fact, it was Jesus teaching in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. He says this. He says, you have received without paying, therefore give without pay. You see, what Jesus is talking about is he's talking about himself. He's talking about the salvation that can be found in Jesus Christ. That was a free gift that was given to the world. And notice, he didn't expect anything in return. He didn't call for us to sell our homes, to sell our villages, to sell our lives. He didn't call for us to abandon everything around us. He freely gave of himself so that we could understand the salvation and the hope that can be found in him. You see, grace is given freely. Mercy 
is given without compromise or excuse. Hope is given without concern of what will be given back in return. And just as Christ gave to us, so too should we give to others. As a member of the church, we do not need to enter this place with a what's-in-it-for-me attitude. Rather, we need to seek ways to give. We need to seek ways to faithfully serve. If we simply come in to receive, then we become like a sponge, if you will. I don't know if you've ever worked with a sponge before, if you've ever had to clean your house with a sponge, but when you soak a sponge in water, naturally you squeeze it out. And when you're done with the sponge, you want to completely squeeze it out so that it will dry. Because here's what happens if you don't. If you don't squeeze out the sponge and water collects, it will begin to mold. Well, that's the reality for a lot of us in the church today. If we are not givers and we are merely takers, then we will continue to collect, we will continue to soak, we will continue to draw in water, and we will never be used by God or allow God to squeeze of ourselves so we can pour ourselves into the lives of others. And when we get to that point where we are sitting and soaking, then we too will grow mold and we will begin to stink. You know, the reality is this. Some of us may want to check ourselves at this moment. Some of us may want to see how we smell right about now. Are we soaking in the word of God? Are we soaking in prayer? Are we soaking in worship? And then allowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to squeeze us in the areas where he's called us to serve? Or are we just continually gathering water? knowing that we're just going to eventually mold and we're going to begin to stink. You see, takers, takers point out problems without solutions. Takers get upset and frustrated without praying or seeking the scripture. Takers seek power and recognition in the church when the only one who deserves all praise is Jesus Christ and him alone. Takers sit and wait and soak without ever putting their hands to work on the wall. Takers hinder growth, they rob joy, and they seek the ruin of others for their own satisfaction. Faith family, we cannot be or become takers. Nehemiah moves on in verses 6 through 13. We see here that Nehemiah calls the takers to repentance. Now, here's what's interesting. Let's just sum up the whole situation again, okay? If you missed it, in the first five verses, we have poor Jews who cannot work the land anymore. They can no longer provide for their families. If they do leave the work in order to go back and work where they need to, then the wall will suffer, there is now a financial burden that leads to the mortgaging of fields in order to borrow money for the king's tax. There is devastation as hardworking Jews are now forced to sell their children into slavery and their children are being mistreated and abused by their new owners. And then we see Nehemiah's response in verses 6 through 8. In Nehemiah's response in verse 6, he says, I was very 
angry when I heard their outcry in these words. Here we see Nehemiah, another side of Nehemiah we had not seen yet. We see that Nehemiah is a fiery, volatile man. We learn that Nehemiah was very angry when he heard the cry of the people. But notice this. Notice verse 7. Nehemiah didn't respond out of his anger. Nehemiah didn't respond out of pure emotion. Nehemiah didn't respond out of his frustration and his hurt and his anguish. Nehemiah didn't all of a sudden hear the cries of the people, get upset, and say, let's just take them out. No, we learn from verse 7 that Nehemiah took counsel with himself. In other words, he took control of his heart. He took control of his emotions. He got control of himself and then addressed specifically the word of God that had been broken by the nobles and the leaders, which can be found in Deuteronomy 23, Leviticus 25, and Exodus 22. God's law was being broken, and Nehemiah in his grace and peace called the leaders out for it. In fact, we see in verse 9 and 10, Nehemiah calls out specifically the transgression and the transgressors. He calls them to repentance and tells them that not only do they need to be concerned for themselves, but they need to be concerned with the reputation of God among the nations. You see, Nehemiah reminded the nobles that they no longer are a representation of themselves. They are a representation of the glory of God. And now they were acting and behaving exactly like the Egyptians did when the Jews were enslaved to them. So there was no difference in how these nobles and leaders were acting amongst their brothers when it came to comparing their newfound freedom versus the bondage they remember from days of old. You see, they had forgotten that they not only represent themselves and their family, they represent God himself. And so Nehemiah calls the leaders to come back in line with the word of God. You see, for us today as givers, we need to stay in step with the word of God. How does the word of God guide us? Better yet, how often do we spend in the word of God? Is it a monthly practice, a weekly practice, a daily practice, or is it something we just go to when life falls apart and we're hoping for the best? As believers in Christ, we need to stay focused on the word. We need to recognize that everything that we have, everything that we've been given, everything that we believe, we think we have earned doesn't belong to us. Rather, it has been given by the glory of God and therefore it belongs to the Lord. We are called to care for what God has given to us. And I assure you, we can and will be judged as stewards of what God has given. We can and will be judged on how we have cared for what God has entrusted to us. Let that sink in for a moment. We will be judged by God. For what he has given to us. What he has entrusted to us. Let me make this a little more concrete in case you're still missing it. Faith family, we will be judged. In how we have stewarded and cared for our children. And I'm not just talking about our immediate family. 
I'm talking about our smaller brothers and sisters who are all over this room right now. We will be held accountable for that. We will be held accountable for our words and our actions. We will be held accountable to the talents and gifts that God has given us and how we have used them for the church and ultimately for the glory of God. We will be held accountable for each of those things. So you see, we need to care for what God has given us. As believers, we need to remember that our actions and our words matter because we are a representative of God. In fact, when you think of your own faith and you think of faith as a believer, we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, we see these words, that each one of us must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In other words, it's not just enough to simply be a giver. Rather, we need to be givers who willingly give of our time, who willingly give of our talents, who willingly give of our resources cheerfully, not because we have to, not because we're looking for what's in it for us, but because our attitude and our heart matters when it comes to faithfully serving God. Now, you notice in verse 11 through 13, we see the call to repentance. We see a reminder that we should do unto others as we would want to have done to ourselves. All that we say, all that we do, how we faithfully serve is to advance the kingdom of God on earth. And our standard is and always should be God. You see, it was God who freely gave his grace. It was God who gave us his mercy. It was God through Christ who revealed his love for us, and therefore we should follow that same standard and freely give to others as well. But then notice what happens here. We see takers and we see givers, but Nehemiah is not done there. When you get into verses 14 through 19, we see Nehemiah's example of being a giver. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this in the first five verses already, and Nehemiah is not one to brag on himself, but here goes Nehemiah doing Nehemiah-type things, okay? He's just going to not just talk about it and, and call to repentance and, and give us how we are to live as givers. No, he's going to give us a concrete example of what that should look like. You see, Nehemiah wasn't just a talker about the good things we should do. Rather, Nehemiah was an all-in doer as well. When you look at verses 14 and 15, we see that Nehemiah was the governor over all Jerusalem, which meant he was entitled to special privileges given to him by the king. Now, this was an established practice that was often abused by past leaders, but not so for Nehemiah. Here, Nehemiah breaks the pattern again. Nehemiah shows us his devotion to God and his devotion to the work. Nehemiah reveals to us his love for God and his love for the people. Therefore, Nehemiah was not going to take advantage of the system or abuse the system. He did not want to add to the burden of the people. In fact, in verse 16, he says to us, I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered for the work. You see, Nehemiah understood something that we need to see today. Nehemiah knew 
that there was something bigger than the prestige of being a governor. Nehemiah understood that there was something better than the privileges he could enjoy. And that bigger and better thing was for God's people to be protected and God's name to be exalted. For Nehemiah, it was all about and for the glory of God. That should be our lives as well. Do we live for something greater than us? You see, sometimes when we get frustrated and we get upset and we want to have a moment where we say, well, what's in it for me? Sometimes we need to hit the pause button and take a step back and get perspective. You see, we don't gather in this church because God needs us. That's a, that's a horrible thought to have. Too many times I've seen mission groups and mission teams and mission trips where teams ride in and they think they're the cavalry to save the day. And that is not at all what God has called us to do. You see, we gather because we need Him. We worship God because of what He has done for us. And when God calls us to faithfully serve, we do it for the glory of God because of what He has given to us not the other way around. You see, we need to keep perspective on why we are here. Nehemiah had that same perspective. In fact, in verses 17 through 19, we learn that not only is, is Nehemiah a humble man out for the glory of God, and he gives us this great example of being a giver, but we learn that Nehemiah is rich. And we're not just talking like wealthy. We're talking filthy, stinking rich. Nehemiah is a wealthy guy. We learn from Nehemiah that he slaughters an ox a day. He slaughters six choice sheep a day, and he has an abundance of wine every 10 days. Now, what we also learn from Nehemiah is that he was the leader for 12 years on this rebuild. Now, I'm not a math person, but I can do a little bit, and I've been keeping count. So if you're keeping count with me, that is roughly 4,380 oxen, 26,280 sheep, and more drink than you could ever imagine. Nehemiah is loaded. He had great wealth. The only way I could even come close to that in my own life is if every day I woke up and I had a chicken biscuit for breakfast. And then I went to lunch. And when I got to lunch, I had my own large pizza. And then when I got done with my large pizza, I went home and there was steak and mashed potatoes every day. Some of y'all are applauding that. I'm, I got high expectations for you this next week. I better get some phone calls. But that's what he had every day. He had his own fountain machine. It never ran out. He had the perfect sweet tea. He had the perfect cocoa. He had everything he could ever want in abundance. And it was perfect. And it was all his. He was being served a five-star meal every day for every meal with everything he could ever want. He was living the life. He was the Old Testament version of cribs or the Old Testament version of lifestyles of the rich and famous. Nehemiah would have been that guy. But notice what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah does not do all this eating and drinking by himself. No, it says that he had 150 people at his table. You see, instead of investing solely in himself... 
Instead of consuming all that food and drink himself, Nehemiah chooses to steward what he had been given and to share it with those around him. He used his talents, his wealth, and his resources for the glory of God, for the good of others, and for no other reason. Why would he do that? Because Nehemiah was looking forward to the reward that was coming. Nehemiah was looking forward to the day that he would be living for God and for the kingdom of God and within the kingdom of God. You see, Nehemiah lived by faith, and he desired to serve and to give to God's people and to God's kingdom, ultimately for the glory of God. You see, for us today, we also reap the benefit of the service that Nehemiah had. In fact, it was Jesus Christ who, in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, says this, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, it was Jesus Christ who came to serve us. It was Jesus Christ who loved us. It was Jesus Christ who gave up his wealth, gave up his riches, stepped away from his throne, left his kingdom, his wealth, and everything he had. And why did he do it? For the glory of God, but also so that we could be reunited and rebuilt into the relationship that God intended for mankind. You see, Jesus humbled himself. Jesus died so that we might live just as he lives today. You see, as givers like Nehemiah, as givers like Jesus Christ, we need to be willing to lay ourselves aside for the goodness of others and for the glory of God. It should never be about us when it comes to serving in the church. Rather, it should be about the growth of our children, the encouragement of others, and the edification and rebuilding of God's church. So like Nehemiah, who are we going to call to the table? Who are we going to ask to join us? Who are we going to faithfully serve alongside? You see, when we come to this place, who are we? Are we takers or are we givers? Have we come to serve or be served? You see, Nehemiah, like we will see with Christ, has called us to be givers. He has heard the cry of the people. He has called others to repentance, including ourselves. And he sets the example in our giving. You see, by God's grace, we will see the need to rebuild. By God's grace, we will see the call to give. So who will answer the call today? Again, not about us and what we can gain but all about him and his glory. Who will be givers today? Who will help with the rebuild? Let's pray together.